This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Tenvir on from TB Momentum, and our topic today is building and retaining tech teams. So I can't wait to jump into it with Tenvir. Would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and TB Momentum? Uh, thanks, William. Appreciate uh, you having me here. And um, yeah, so... I'm Tanvir, um, former digital executive, uh, author of the book, The Pro Business Mindset, and Team Momentum is uh, uh, my consulting firm. Um, yeah, and most of my experience has been in digital uh, technology transformation and uh, within the B2C and the consumer space. Very nice. And how'd you, well, how'd you get into uh, the digital space? What was your, what was your path in? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, one of those paths which was not expected at all. So, I graduated um, after uh, five years of football, and um, I did my MBA. So at that point, I had uh, no inclination or or any uh, desire to work in tech, but I knew tech was something that was up and coming. Basically, a year uh, during my MBA, I had done a consulting project for uh, one of the largest companies in Canada. Um, at that point, I didn't know, uh, you know, if it would lead to something, but I had a full-time job lined up. I graduated from my MBA, did, a full, did my full-time role with ExxonMobil right out of uh, my first job. A year later, um, I left to start my own business, but which I didn't at that point. Um, I decided that I didn't want to start my own business later on. So I was basically trying a bunch of stuff out. Long story short, um, the, the company that I had worked for during my, my MBA um, I reached out to them and they actually had a role. I had no idea what the role was. Um, the VP of HR at that time said, asked me to come in and just speak to a few folks. Went in, never saw a job description, but when I started working, it was a technology role, managing um, some products and projects. So that's how I got started and learned most of it on the job. <laughs> which I, which I, I think is how most people learn. Exactly. Uh, is, uh, exactly. You know, don't go to college to, to learn how to manage people and learn <laughs> Learn yeah. how to manage projects. Uh, it goes, uh, it almost goes against like, you know, the common thing that we're all taught to have a plan, right? And in my experience, I have had great plans, but most of the stuff that I've been doing has come through something that was unexpected. Um, but because I tried something and I took action. So I think it's a fine balance of not having a plan versus having a plan. But I think it's, uh, in my experience, is about just do the right stuff and uh different doors open for you yeah but put yourself out there and yeah. uh and again things will come you you said that you had published a book as well right yeah yes uh, i just launched a book a few months ago the pro business mindset the pro business mindset tell us a little bit about that yeah so the pro business mindset was it's kind of a passion project um i wrote, started writing that in about just over a year ago in 2021, January. And um, it was during my time in the corporate 
corporate side of things with technology and digital transformations, um, I kind of look back and I realized that a lot of the stuff that I did, whether it was, you know, personal success um, or if it was some of the teams I was on that, that really moved the needle, um, a lot of the times, a lot of those principles were something that I could trace back to what I learned on the football field. So I played uh, football in college in Canada. We won a national championship. And um, when I started asking myself, you know, what, what differentiates a good team from a mediocre team? What allows someone to lead in times like today where everything is changing, there's uncertainty? Um, most of the answers were, you know, common sense that I had learned on the football field from our coaches and, and the players around me. So I decided to reverse engineer that into a methodology, which is the PRO, Pro Business Mindset Methodology. And uh, I read a book. So it's basically, how do you lead in disruptive times? Um, by leveraging principles uh, that you can, you can find in most sports organizations, but which are also present in the business world. I love that. It's, it mirrors a uh, hundred years ago. I was going to write a book with a, a friend of mine and it was uh, about football, but uh, soccer, uh, the other football. Yep. And it was finding Messi. And it was basically had to break down. Uh, but at that time, Messi was played for Barcelona, uh, yep. but an entire, basically the, you know, HR process, but through the lens of a football club uh, and, you know, cause exactly. there's training, compensation, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. re recruiting, you know, all the things that are kind of the pillars of HR and TA, they're all there. They're just, gotta, you just got yep. they're called different things. Of course, we think of them in different ways, but I love that. That's fantastic. And, and congratulations yeah. writing a book. Never easy. Thank you. Thank you. I think, I think just to your point there, William, one of the best books that I've actually read is um, it's your ship by Michael Abrishoff. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's another book that I actually read, um, which I, I can't remember the name now, but it was written by, I think the old manager of uh, one of the football clubs. I think it's Arsenal or Manchester. Um, and he Oops. basically tied it back to business. Yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson, he, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And he also did a lecture at, at Harvard. Uh, as well, I did a. I think he did a fall lecture series <laughs> about it. It was. It was really. Yeah. I mean, the book was great because he knows he was on a job for like thirty years, so uh, so he had a lot yeah. of a lot of things to pull from uh, as a coach. Exactly. Um, so with our topic, building and recruiting tech teams, nice segue into how do we build and retain tech teams. So you know, we, as you did your research and you thought about you know, all the things for your book. You know, you built a lot of teams through the years and you had to retain those teams. What did you, uh, you know, what did you use as encouragement? What did you use to kind of pull from the sports world, if you will, over into your, into your professional world? Yeah. So at the time when I was building teams, I, w I wasn't quite sure what my methodology was. It was, it was only when I wrote the book, I looked back and started finding, you know, connecting the dots. Um, but it came down to uh, a few things. Um, and in the book, I basically um, talk about the PRO, which O is the off season, R is a regular season, and P is the playoffs or the postseason. And what I talk about in the book is that in the off season is when most of your work of building and retaining a team is actually done. Um, most of us as, as leaders, as managers, think that retaining your team uh, happens when, you know, on a daily basis when you're actually executing. 
But what I found was that the, the, if I was able to get the team to buy into my vision way before uh, uncertainty, if I was able to build the right teams before, uh, ahead of time, before I needed to you know, sprint in a project, or if I was able to recruit a right pipeline of people constantly before I needed someone, before somebody quit, um, that's what allowed me during tough times to have teams that were able to really hunker down uh, and you know, reduce turnover and get things done, for example, in the pandemic. Um, so to answer your question, uh, there's a few things. One is to build a team that is adaptable. So you want to find players who are able to play different positions, just like on a football field. You know, our coaches, we would have people leave every year, but we were always a strong team because we had people or players that could play different positions. You had to play a different position beside, beside you or on the other side of the, of the ball. Um, the second thing was to always constantly build your recruiting pipeline. So when somebody does leave, you know, you don't want to be going to HR um, or to your, to your manager and saying, hey, uh, I need to hire someone. Can we put, up, put together a job description? Can we put it up online? Now let's look at all these resumes. Now let's do interviews. Uh, that's too late. You know, it takes months to get somebody through the door. Uh, and by that time, if you're in a fast-paced environment, you're already well into the chaotic territory. So that's where you have to have a pipeline of individuals, whether internally or externally, ready to go. Now, if you do this consistently, if you have somebody who's adaptable in your team, you can step in, you can you know, pivot, you can change. And if you have people that are ready to go and jump into new positions, um, even if somebody does leave and there is turnover nowadays, uh, it's inevitable, you're not going to take a big of a hit as a team that always has to rebuild. So those are the two, two principles that I really talk about in the book. I love that. So let's, let's, uh, let's actually go deep with both of them. One is, is the adaptable. We live in an era where people want to be specialized in sports and also uh, in work. Right. And so how do you, how do you kind of balance that out where someone, you know, wants to be specialized in something wants to be really, really great at you know, yeah. one position, if you will. Um, but, and, but, it's in the organization's best interest and possibly even their best interest for them to be good at two or three different positions. Yeah. How, do you, how do you balance those two? Yeah, great question. And I think we confuse specialization um, by not being adaptable. So, you know, I specialize. My, my bread and butter is being able to connect technology on a business lens, right? It's never about just make an app. It's about why should we make an app, how do we drive sales, you know, by X number of percentage or whatever it is. Um, so we have to specialize. Now, if you are specializing, there's going to be changes, right? In five years from now, we're going to have more AI. We're going to have quantum computing. We're going to have, I was just reading about this, you know, machine learning operations. Before it's DevOps, now it'll be MLOps. Um, it doesn't mean that if you're a specialist in machine learning, you don't have to adapt. You'll have to adapt to these new environments. It just, um, it means that instead of being specialized and thinking that because you're specialized now, you have to stick to that specialization. It's about being aware that yes, this is my specialization, but now I have to be adaptable within this, this I would call it, you know, a loose box or, or, a, or a circle in terms of how do you continue to drive value to yourself and to your company. Uh, so I think we, could, we kind of, we synonymously use 
if I'm specialized, I can adapt. So I think those two mm-hmm. uh, are, or I think we're biased in that, in that perspective. I love that. And uh, Pipeline, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what's your take on referrals or people well, you know, on the team, uh, possibly yep. knowing other people that should be on the team? Yeah, so I would actually take it a step further, William. I would say that if you have built a culture that aligns to where your company is going, right? So let's say you take over a team today, but the culture is not what, what you want the culture to be then you're gonna get referrals from people that are gonna bring in people similar to those those folks. At that point, it might not make sense for you to bring them on because let's say if you're trying to build a culture which is highly analytical, rigorous analytics, but the team that you just took over is mostly qualitative and gut feeling, um, then they might be great people, but it might not be the best to fit your culture based on, let's say, hypothetically, wherever you want to go in the next five years. But if you have built a culture, if you have the right team, uh, whatever the culture is, right? I'm just making it up. Uh, whatever the culture is, if you have the right team in place, the right values, the right systems, then I think referrals are a great way to, to evaluate people. It doesn't mean hire every single person. It means I would actually interview them and meet with them for a coffee and say, hey, you know, can they add value? Do they get along with your team? Or would they? And do they fit your value system? So I think it's more of a cultural fit is what I'm trying to say. Uh, more than anything, I like that. I like that. Well, this is the this the building side of of our yep. topic. Um, what's your What's your take on the retaining uh, side? Yeah. So retention. I think first of all, um, we all hear about the great resignation. So the first thing is that we have to accept there will be turnover. It's just the nature of the business today. Um, there's more option. Um, things are changing, environment, politically, um, I think socially we're changing. So that's the first thing we have to agree on as leaders that, hey, if people are leaving, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's normal. Now, how do you actually retain people? Uh, it starts with a few things. One, as a leader, if somebody leaves your team, it's not because most of the time, it's not because they didn't like the company or they didn't um, you know, like their, um, whatever the goals were, it's usually because there was something that you as a leader, and this is how I operate, you know, I, I somebody leaves my team, I failed along the way somewhere where I wasn't able to either help this person achieve their goals. I wasn't able to help this person, um, you know, build their toolbox to continue learning, or I wasn't able to get the right fit of the person in the first place that aligned to where I was headed. So maybe they were not a right hire. Uh, So what I'm trying to say is that to retain the first and foremost, it's about being a genuine leader that is number one interest of of the number one uh, goal for the leader should be uh, to help their people become better and either make more money, get promoted uh, or be happier. Now, if somebody guess, you know, you, you did a good job. If somebody gets a, a, a job offer as 2x of what you can offer them, you should be happy about that as a leader. But it doesn't mean you failed. It means you did a good enough job where you gave the person enough experience and tools and you believed in them uh, that this person's stock rose. So it starts with leadership. Um, you have to be genuine. You have to care about the people. And if you do that, I think the rest of the stuff always falls into place. Why do you think... Uh... You know, people, at least prior to the pandemic, it was always yeah. 
people leave bad managers. You know, those kind of common uh, thing that you'd hear in popular press is just, oh, yeah, people leave bad managers, which, yeah, I think, yeah, some of that is, is obviously true. But what do, you, what do you see today? Why do you, why do you think people leave, um, if they, um, <clears throat> all things being equal, why do you think people leave? Yeah, like, it, you know, again, not every manager is bad, right? And uh, right. I had people leave my team. So uh, I think it's the nature of the business today. So, for example, mm. let's say if I was... I have a company in Toronto and I was able to hire talent from Toronto and for them at that point, you know, great salary, uh, hypothetically, um, great job. They were happy where they were now pandemic hit. All of a sudden this person now has the option of working anywhere for any company in the world by being in Toronto. Now their option pool expanded hundred X or maybe thousand X. Now, what you're seeing is people are getting poached from companies that are offering them a lot more money. And I was actually speaking to a CEO of, of, a, of a pretty big company on my podcast uh, and their CPO. And, and they said that there's no way they can compete with what some of these companies are throwing at these, these, these folks. And they're not leaving because they don't like their company or you know, they don't like the management. It's just because for them, they're like, well, hey, I'm starting a family next year or I need to pay off my student debt. I'm going to take $50,000 more in salary. No offense to, to you, my manager. So you're looking at basically, I think the number one driver is the option pool has expanded. And two, people are curious to see, hey, what else is out there? So I think a lot of folks are taking a chance and, and going with it. Oh, that's interesting. So I want to get your take on stay interviews. Uh, the interview that happens the, basically while the person is still there that, you know, why do you stay? You know, what, what are we doing right? What are we doing correctly? Is there yeah. anything we could do to, you know, to, to be different, et cetera. And also your take on exit interviews. Exit. When people, <laughs> yeah. When people leave, yeah. you know, the, the interview that we have there, what's your take on both yeah. of those? So I'll, I think, you know, I've been, I've been across different organizations. Uh, I had colleagues that are working at companies right now. I think when you look at it collectively, um, stay interviews will only work if you have the trust of your leadership team. No one is going to speak their mind unless they trust the leadership team. Most of the time, if you're in a culture that is toxic, um, just making up an example, let's say you're in a toxic culture, uh, while you're still here, nobody will actually tell you what you should be doing better because right. there is fear. So, so there's obviously that, right? And, and a lot of the times when we do these surveys, you know, I've been in places many years ago where we do a survey and, you know, some of my, my colleagues were like, yeah, you know, that's not how I really feel about the company. What I put in the survey is just what I put in there because I have a feeling um, the leadership team might be able to look at my results. And that happens everywhere you go. So I, I think a lot of the stuff, a lot of the interviews, uh, we got to ask ourselves the question is, what is our goal? Right. Interview is or stay interview or exit interview is just one, I would say, driver to at the end of the day, your goal is retention to see how can you better retain more people. So instead of focusing on the interviews and looking at results, I think management in general has to take a hard look at themselves and say, well, you know, how can we actually retain people? And maybe it's because we're not as transparent as we should be. Maybe, um, you know, we're not walking the talk or maybe we are but it's not getting communicated properly to some of the folks in different departments in these silos. So that's what, that's what I would say. I would say it's one driver 
uh, or one piece of the puzzle. But a lot of times I think the root cause of, of why we, you know, people are leaving or why we can retain or how can we better our morale, I think it starts at a much deeper level than that. I love that. Okay, um, engagement. It's been really popular for the last uh, decade or so. Uh, different engagement tools, pulse surveys, things like that. Mm-hmm. What's your general take on kind of uh, engagement as as it, as it's at least as you've seen it work in in your organizations? Yeah, I, I think for me, like I I could tell if somebody's engaged based on how they are performing. So if my team all of a sudden, one person in my team started coming to, to work late. They started to you know, not be in meetings or they started to be passive aggressive in a meeting. I don't need a survey as a manager to show that something's wrong with this individual, right? They're not engaged anymore. Uh, maybe they're on their phone too much during work hours, whatever, whatever the cues are. Um, so I think first and foremost, engagement starts at, again, leadership level as a, as a leader. You have to be able to look at your team and tell how, how is the feeling? How is, how is the energy? Which is now much harder to look at when you are remote. So actually you wrote a few articles on this where as, as you're a remote leader, uh, you should actually be pushing even harder to have a stand-up at least once a week where the entire team shows up, has their cameras on, you know, given that they're okay to do that. Uh, and um, everybody's participating in some sort of a round table and as a leader, you can actually sense whether or not your team's energy is there, whether or not somebody's engaged or not. Uh, so I think it starts there at number one, because by the time a survey comes out every six months, it's too late. You realize your team that engaged has been six months. You know, holy crap, what should we do? By that point, this, the person who's not engaged has already updated their resume, has already been meeting other people. And in a job market like today, they most likely already have a few opportunities coming down the pipe. Um, so I think it's a great lagging indicator i think leading indicator has to be something somewhere where the where the manager has to be a lot more involved if not already so in identifying is the team not engaged love that i want to get uh, two more takes one is on performance reviews Mm -hmm. because i think this is tied to at least both of these topics building and retaining uh tech teams what's your what's your take on what what the talent needs in terms of a review and, you know, what, what's, yeah. what have you seen successful to be successful there with that audience? So my number one rule, the way I was taught and how I've actually managed teams and I still do. And again, this is driven from, from the world of sports is if, if you are giving somebody a review at the end of the season in football or every six months in business, and if something in that review is a surprise, it means you as a leader have not done your job. So in another way of saying that is, as a leader, you have to give feedback that is instantaneous or mm-hmm. at least every week. Yeah. Now, I can't have a team member where I'm like, yeah, you're doing fine, you're doing fine, you're doing fine. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, yeah, you're in the most bottom quadrant. I'm getting promoted, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, well, that guy's going to leave or that girl's going to leave, number one. But number two, I've lost their trust. And number three, all those six months, I could have developed this person. I could have been honest with them. And at the end of the day, it hurts our company. They're not doing the best job, yet they think they are. So it's actually, it's actually up to the leader to make sure, even if it is a tough conversation, to have that conversation, to put in place a plan that helps this person improve, 
And the, the, the manual or the, the semi-annual review should just be a summary of the plan and how this person has been performing to the plan. It, right. should, not be, it should not be a first time that here's where you are. So that's basically how I, I look at them and, and what's worked for us uh, across other companies. I love that. Great take. Great take. Because again, back to what works in sports organizations is yeah. you're out on a practice field every single day working with mm-hmm. different coaches, they're giving you feedback. <laughs> they're giving you feedback whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, they're giving you constant feedback. There is no shock yeah. at all. That's what I love about what you said is at the end, there, there is no surprise. You know where no. you stand uh, pretty exactly. much on a daily basis, uh, maybe yeah. maybe hourly basis in some cases. Yeah. But I want to go really, really quickly. I want to go back to the very beginning when you, you mentioned your, your, the, the model of a playoffs uh, yeah. The regular season and the off season, and and the and, and you basically, the, I love that. First of all, I love thinking like that because you need Thank something you. different in in each one of those. But the, I think you said it uh, that the mo- the hardest work is getting done in the off season. Is that right? Yep, 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 absolutely. I love that, uh, Tanvir. This has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for your carving out some time for us. Well, William, thank you so much. It was a great, uh, great chat with you. You know, it gets me excited, gets me pumped up, and hopefully, we added some value to a few of your listeners today. I hope so too. Thank you so much, my friend. Listen, have a wonderful day, and thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.